Welcome to Being Bold, the show that talks about the journey to business development. Hi, I'm Cecilia Younger, and today we're talking to Kent Lewis, an accidental entrepreneur. Hi, Kent, and welcome to Being Bold. It's a pleasure to, ha- uh, to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, I, I saw some of the things that you've done being an entrepreneur and starting Anvil Media. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. The the accidental came into play because I never set out to be an entrepreneur. First agency I co-founded, because I'm a career marketing agency guy, was I was a co-founder of an agency um, back in 99 because my old boss left the agency in a, under under a cloud and came back to me a couple of months later and said, hey, I want to start an agency. Are you in? The first time I said, no, your life's a mess. He was going through divorce and it, it was just didn't seem like a good idea for me. And then three months later, he came back again. He said, I've got a new apartment. Divorce is final. I've got two clients lined up and I need people I trust to help me get this off the ground. So that was uh, January of 99. We launched a company called Wave Rock. And what got me on my entrepreneurial journey was first, the first checkbox was, oh, I guess I can help start a company from scratch. It wasn't my preferred place. And I was a minority shareholder just as a, a young kid with energy. And um, and, I, and a year and a half later, um, he ended up, I ended up getting fired because I aligned with the other co-founder, another young up-and-comer who he did not get our, our boss, our founder, our mentor, didn't get along with her. And when I defended her, stood by her, he's like, all right, I got to get rid of you both. So the, wow. the next week I started Anvil. So October, late September, early October 2000. So we we grew an agency from six, you know, um, two, three original founders, our boss who fronted the money. And then... Um, and then we each brought a, a junior person with us. So there were six of us plus an op, including an office manager. We grew to about 35 people in, in 18 months. But that growth without having a contract in place, an employment agreement and a shareholder agreement uh-huh. turned ugly because I, oh, having wow. having 6% of a company that was worthless didn't mean anything. And then when we were a $3 million, $3.5 million agency, not having that in writing was problematic. So um, I learned from that and I decided, well, I'll I'll just hang a shingle because I'll I had a an easing. I thought I'll sell that easing for a million bucks. Never did, still around. Um, but um I realized until I find a an a mentor similar to my old boss, I never did. I'll just do this consulting. And then that turned into a handful of clients, it turned into a couple of freelancers. I still wasn't ready uh, to hire mm-hmm. employees. So what did I do? I co-founded my second agency. Um, ERO, email ROI in 2002 because our clients needed email and I didn't I knew a little bit of strategy but I didn't have any of the background on um, operational technology so I partnered with a, a friend of mine I'd met early in my Portland uh, um, residence and he and I and a friend of mine who was a graphic designer started email ROI and I was like oh this isn't so hard having employees we had five or six people that first year um, but then I had a falling out with my my friend and and co-founder because he wanted to build a software company. I don't know how to do that. I didn't want to do it. I just, I'm an email, uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm a strategist. So I decided you proved to me that I can have employees. So I'm just going to do Anvil. So he bought me out of email ROI, which is now Thesis, a 280 employee digital marketing agency here. So he grew, he grew big and I wanted to stay small. So I successfully kept Anvil small for 22 years. Oh, wow. um, but I sold um, Anvil to a Midwest agency called Dexia, March of this year, after 22 years, I decided, mm-hmm. um, been there, done that, been running teams. I'm not doing anything new or different. 
Um, it's time for a change, a change for myself. I, I get to speak and write and be a thought leader like you. Um, and they manage the team and deal with the headaches and the overhead and the payroll. And and I, I you know, I'm still keeping an eye on my team. We are the Portland office for Dexia. Uh-huh. And and I'm enjoying being more of a peer and not a boss. You know, oh. not that the manager role can be a drag to be right. Honest. So it w- it's been great for me. Uh, my team has a career path with a larger agency. We're like 45 people instead of 11, and um, and my clients have more services that they than they did before. So I've you know I've side note is I've created two trade organizations and I founded two agencies, co-founded two agencies. I've been a part of 10 agencies. So I can tell the agency story, but I think what we would talk about next is my, my, my reboot hard reset in 13. I was about to go out of business and I had to make a radical change. And the end, the, the net result fast forward is I was able to, to create a business that was worthy of being sold. Um, oh. When it would, I literally could have shut the doors in 13 and, 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 you know, I wouldn't have been fine. I would have felt defeated, but that's where everybody thought I was going. So, so what happened? So what happened? And you don't, I don't see this in the books. I don't see this a uh, lot discussed much, but you know, they say turnover, employee turnover is a bad thing. And at a service simplified level, that's totally true. It's, you know, re- replacing each employee is one and a half times their salary or up to some 50% of their salary, whatever you want to look at it. It's expensive to replace people. You've got great resignation, makes it harder. Millennials mm-hmm. can be challenging. Um, even the economic downturns don't seem to affect the digital marketing world as much as other industries. So it's really hard to recruit and retain. But what happened to me in 13 started five to 10 years earlier was I hired people out of college and I shaped them into these amazing, leveraging their strengths into amazing assassins in the digital world uh-huh. um but they were they weren't entrepreneurs and they for the most part weren't entrepreneurs so by the in the portland vibe culture portlandia sort of vibe is by the mid 30s they felt like they were ready to retire they didn't want to continue to learn and grow per se they were comfortable making great money and um we were irrelevant um we were turning irrelevant so we were one of the first digital agencies specializing in search in portland and the pacific northwest we were one of the oldest up until 20 you know up until march um just doing search and my team was literally mailing it in my clients were asking for more they were getting called by competitors i had two competitors 22 years ago in portland now i have probably 2000 competitors in portland right like, to, yes. to say they do what we do so i needed i needed to be more competitive my team wasn't the right team. And, and I attribute that to a degree to not managing people up and out. Um, so I was comfortable. I was proud of the family I was building, which meant people were with me five to 10 years in digital. That's unheard of. My my intern was a VP when she quit, which was a day, um, the day after I wrote my credo, which is um, which is on the internet, is I I didn't even enjoy coming to work in early 2013. Uh-huh. And so in, in late April, I came up with this, I had just watched Jerry Maguire and he wrote that manifesto, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it created all this, this spark and challenge. He got kicked out. He had to go do his own thing. And I was like, I need that Jerry Maguire moment. And so I, <laughs> and while I was um, sleeping in my, my son's bunk bed, he's like a, a young, you know, youngster. I was looking at the ceiling, like three feet from the ceiling in the bunk bed. And I was like, wait a sec. I don't even like coming to work. I don't even want to be here. They don't want to be here. We don't respect each other. This is broken. How do I fix it? So I wrote this, uh, what I call the credo, 10 truths about what it takes to be at, at Anvil. 
And I gave it to my team, gave them uh, 36 hours or you know three to four days to decide. You're either signing this and you're on board or you're welcome to leave. And I had 14 employees, seven left within 48 hours or you know 72 hours. And the oh. rest left within um, 12 to 18 months. And okay. so I have a whole new team. But the point is that next day, when my uh, tenure employee, my longest tenured employee gave notice, Mm -hmm. um, I said, hey, I get it. I don't want to be here. Just read my credo. And if it makes any sense, please stick around. And she slept on it, decided, no, I'm too far gone, too burned out by this team. I want out. I could go into more detail on why that happens. And it happened four or five times. I didn't learn my lesson, the whole Peter Principle concept. But bottom line is, I had a clarity and I knew what I had to do. So I spent the next nine years rebuilding the company to where I didn't actually want to sell, didn't, well, didn't want to sell for the last three to four years, mm -hmm. didn't have to sell the last two to three years, but I realized you, you leave at the top of your game, right? And so, right. and also the, uh, uni the opportunity was unique. I'm not leaving the industry. I'm not even leaving Anvil Dexia. I'm just the thought leader CMO, chief marketing officer. And that's just my role. I get to do what I love, what I'm good at, and mm -hmm. don't have to deal with the rest. So- yeah. It was that pivot of rebuilding a team based not on age. I don't use the term millennial as a negative. I use the term millennial mindset as a negative because anybody can have that entitlement issue. Right. But yes. um, I found some young, relatively young folks that are if on that millennial generation that have, in my mind, a Gen X mentality. They're about getting it done, about results, about hard work, about passion, about growth mindset. And that's what differentiated us. And the, the ultimate validation is... As Dexy has been incorporating us as a team in, in, the, in this merger, you're like, you do a lot of things really well. And the team, I've, you know, a few people didn't make it through the acquisition, the merger, because they didn't, they didn't see the culture fit that I did. It's too bad they didn't give it a good enough time. Um, mm -hmm. But I see it. And, and I see that um, now I have all this limited experience with M&A in the agency world is that I build a company that could be a part of something greater and then be able to be a part of that and go to my next chapter. Mm -hmm. So fun. what does your credo have? So the credo originally, what I will say is it's instead of it being purely aspirational, um, it is. it was a box that was designed for one thing um, to, to help people understand whether they fit at Anvil. So uh -huh. instead of it being, you know, we are going to be the world's greatest, this and that, you know, the mission vision values are different. And I will tell you this, there are a couple bullets in here that stood out where individual stars decided we're not, I'm not a fit here. And I was disappointed because I didn't agree with them, but it helped us get that out of the way much faster. Uh -huh. So um, just reading them quickly, um, delighting and elevating. So if, if I've learned the hard way and I've written about all this stuff in an article, I'll send you after the recording, but um, if you don't delight your customer, your client first, in our world of digital marketing where results are the key, ROI is paramount, then it doesn't matter if you elevate them. If they don't like you, trust you, respect you, you can get 100x ROI and they'll still fire you. And right. I've seen that 10x more common than I delight them, they love us and they still fire us because we don't hit the results or they don't like the results or whatever it is. That almost mm -hmm. never happens compared to we crush it, we're good at that, but they didn't um, deliver, um, you know, we didn't have that connection at the account side. So having yeah. a great relationship manager is the, the lesson. And I had people 
back then we were migrating from one person does all digital. We could get away with that for the first 10, 15 years of our existence uh -huh. um, to moving to specialists, SEO, paid, you know, relationship person versus subject matter expert. We didn't have that differentiation originally. So we realized we had to bifurcate those skill sets. And so not everybody wanted to delight, not everybody wanted to elevate. And if they didn't want to do either one and weren't in that role, then they were gone. Mm -hmm. um, the other big one that is always the weakest link, but it's aspirational is the growth mindset. So are you attending conferences? Are you reading books and articles? Are you listening to podcasts and webcasts like this? If you're not, you're probably not a good fit at Anvil. Um, and uh -huh. Dexia carries that forward. They do a lot of education internally. Um, and so I think they're a very good fit for us. They're also just as obsessed with delight and elevation as the Anvil team has been. Um, the other one that's a Portland thing is the third bullet, I'm not afraid to dream big or fail in order to achieve long-term success. My team had paralysis about taking chances. They thought I would, they were in worse shape if they failed me or the company or the client uh -huh. um, than if they tried and failed. So what they do is not do anything or lie about what they did because they thought it was safer. And that was highly damaging because in the world of digital, you constantly have to, um, evolve and test and they right. weren't willing to they weren't willing to fail and i think some of the managers that i had under me were were in, in, you know continuing that that bad behavior because i would say one thing and then the manager would say something else even though we were small we had a couple layers so that was a problem mm -hmm. um unique abilities i am totally i think you should have dave randall on your show he changed my life in terms of when i saw him speak 15 years ago about um Simple concept, find your red nose. What is that thing you do better than anybody else? Your unique ability. And then find your fog. Where does your nose become omnipotently powerful? Because otherwise, Rudolph is a goofball with a red nose. In the fog, he's a beacon, right? So his whole thing is um, find your peak and then shift so you don't see the corresponding valley because every strength has a corresponding weakness. Mm -hmm. And I agree, I agree with Dave. So what I realized was I didn't have everybody on the right seat on the boat. I don't use a bus metaphor because that's passive. Rowing the boat together is an active metaphor. And so nice. if, you, if, if they didn't appreciate what their unique abilities were and they weren't willing to use them, mm -hmm. then they weren't a good fit. Um, that's that's That was more of an acknowledgement that we are trying to understand and leverage people's abilities. Not mm -hmm. everybody agreed with that. Um, oh. Doing what's right instead of what's easy, that was a huge problem because I had people that were, I, 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 paved the trail, I blazed the path, I had the armor, I protected them, I grew them into these really, you know, they grew themselves with my support into these really amazing people that knew digital marketing, but they would, they've started to feel comfortable and would do, hit the easy button instead of challenging themselves. They might fail, no big deal, but that's not how they looked, saw it. Right. Um, just a couple more here. Creating and nurturing connections that benefit my career. My team did not want to network. And we don't grow without a, a network that is, you know, nurtured. It's a farm. We are planting seeds. And I was the only one networking I bought in all of our business. And mm -hmm. as the competitive competition in the marketplace heated up, my, my increasing reliance on my network had an decreasing impact. And the lack of my team's network made it even harder to get new business. Mm -hmm. So I had to make some changes uh, on that front. Um, the other beef, uh, I enjoy sharing my knowledge and experience to enlighten others is that people go to conferences and not share what they learn. So I might spend three to $4,000 on their experience or even a thousand or even 2000. And they would use it to go travel to a city they've never been to and mm -hmm. then come back with no insights. And I'm like, I am not your travel agent. You know, 
I'm here to empower your learning and you're empowered to share that learning with everybody. And the old team, not so great at that. The new team, really good at it. Mm -hmm. um, this is interesting. Um, my most meaningful relationships revolve around trust, respect, empathy, and patience. This one was for me. Um, <laughs> I feel like the team largely trusted each other. There was some lacking respect here and there. That's common in the agency world where it's all personalities. But I have low empathy and no patience. So this one was for me. I know that if I want to attract and retain the best talent and clients, I had to be more empathetic and more patient. So that was a long game. Now, as I get older, I'm 50, got some kids. Um, I've been doing this a long time. I'm far more patient and a little more empathetic, but I still am all about action and I and all about direct. And that doesn't always work with the empathic types. So now that I'm out of management, I'm a peer, that doesn't matter as much. People appreciate my directness when I'm not their manager. They don't appreciate mm -hmm. it when I am, right? <laughs> um, last two, success is defined by the impact and contribution I make regardless of my job title. This is why at least one of my best hires left. She read that as um, job titles do not matter to me. Therefore, they can't matter to you. And um, therefore, your, your job title probably won't ever change and get used to it. That is not at all oh. what I said. That's mm -hmm. not what I meant. What I meant was you should not be obsessed with a title because in this world, the title will be honest at 90% it doesn't matter. It matters to help you not, a, a title should get open certain doors and keep others open and that's it. It shouldn't uh -huh. be, you know, the, the, this employee in particular had two traditional parents that went through, you know, big corporations where a job title every two years was a metric of success rather than your pay. And so I paid well and I kept, I had people that doubled their salary in two to three years. It's what wow. it's a meritocracy. The problem is if they didn't see a title change or a path to a bigger title, um, I was going to lose people. And that's what happened right there. Turns out yeah. that person went on to a demotion at a, just to get out of there. When she quit, she took a lower title somewhere else and never achieved the title that she was going to achieve if she'd stuck around another year at Anvil. So, mm -hmm. you know, patience, um, perspective. Um, but again, if you valued your title, Anvil wasn't going to be a place. Part of the reason we did the Dexia merger is with more people, more titles, those people still have a place. Mm -hmm. They just didn't in a 12-person company. There's just no room for that. Right. And then la lastly, I know what I want to do with my career, and I want to do it at Anvil. I had people, one person that was with me seven years, signed the credo two weeks later, quit. I said, why did you sign this agreement with me, this contract between us? when you knew you were going to stick around. Well, I didn't want to lose my job. I'm like, you think I would have fired you for not signing it? Like, you know, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, I think lying is is certainly no better solution. I get it as, an, you know, in her mind, junior, but she was actually mid to upper level management. I was just shocked. So, um, so if you weren't sure you wanted to be at Anvil, then go somewhere else. Learn, play the field, right, before you get married. And so I encourage people to leave if they didn't um, really get it, if they didn't see the potential. And that's expensive because there's still very few degrees out there that I trust. If people do it, that I will hire them. And mm -hmm. I, that's why I've been an adjunct professor for 22 years is I've hired a lot of people out of my class because I trust that they made it through my onslaught. That's worth <laughs> something. You know, doesn't even saying that I'm a great teacher just means I've seen them suffer. <laughs> they, they're probably a good fit. Um, <laughs> So that, that's the, the credo just set, a, set off a chain reaction. 
and it it needed to happen. So again, back to the first point was with low turnover for the first 10 years, mm-hmm. it set a unrealistic expectation that just because they were still there, it meant they were happy, productive, fruitful, long-term fit. We were growing and changing. And so the same people that I, I, I solidified a relationship with in building this family, they were growing up and so was I, we were going the wrong, you know, apart. And that mm-hmm. happens, that's okay. And it's still, part of me is bitter as a parent in that I wanted more from those, if I'm going to build them into badasses, I felt that I should see them doing more out in the industry. And they all pretty much went dark. You know, they, they hit the easy button, took a big mm-hmm. paycheck somewhere doing whatever work they were doing, but they weren't out in the industry anymore. They weren't visible. They weren't making an impact. They, they weren't making me a proud parent. So that's disappointing. But I'll, as my wife and others tell me, get over it. That's their <laughs> life and their choice right? Their choice, their body. And I'm like, you're right. You know, that's fine. Um, I just, if I'm going to put a lot of investment in something, I, w- I would like to see the return, even if it means they're making that money somewhere else. And sometimes even at my expense, by that, I mean, leaving and stealing clients. I had two people do that and start an agency together. Mm-hmm. And I'm out millions of dollars in lost business that they stole. And by that, I mean, my clients never even talked to me. They were engineered out of my company and told a bunch of lies and whatever. My point yeah. is, at least they went and did it. They, they did their best self, but they could do that without hurting me. Um, that's my only beef. Yeah. Now, I, I like the personal growth and how you like with your, with your credo, how you wanted people to grow. You don't want them just to stay status quo. Yeah, I'm about, I'm not about status quo. But that you want personal development because when you have people who are developing and they're with you, they can contribute in other ways that mm-hmm. you may not even think about. Um, you make connections if you're out networking with other people. There are so many things that you can do within a company when you're able to just when you're able to go out. And mm-hmm. and I like how you you you're saying that you want to be seen as reliable, incredible, trustworthy because those are so many. Those are the the words that I use in my book and being bold and driven. The challenges mm-hmm. and victories of building a business. It, that's what people want to see. That's what drives business your way. Yeah. And, and you know what? what's interesting about your being bold concept is it was scary to just say, I've got a credo, you're in or you're out. That's not necessarily what you learn in business school. I mean, maybe modern business school, I don't know, but nobody ever taught me. And I, I literally have a, 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 a degree in, in business with a marketing concentration. I ran a business for 22 years. There was a marketing agency. It couldn't get any better. I'm not a, wasn't a social psych major. I wasn't a um, you know, uh, environmental studies. I actually theoretically had the learning. Well, guess what? Almost nothing in school, as great of an education as it was, was preparing me for this moment of saying, mm-hmm. I don't even want to be here. You guys don't want to be here. Let's fix this right now. I mean, right. it was just a crazy pivot point. And it um, basically the metaphor I would use is because I was an early mover in Portland and I was, you know, I speak, I write, people know who I am, at least in this Pacific Northwest market that I felt like, and people were telling me, at least, you know, in my ear, maybe telling somebody else, something else is like, dude, Ken's driving a Ferrari. And then in 2012, uh, early 2013, I realized I was in a really old Ford Escort and under, and I, if I opened the motor, it was a bunch of hamsters on wheels and some bailing wire and duct tape. Yeah, I was not cruising it at, I was going fast enough that I felt like I felt the wind, but it was really at pedal power. It was a joke. And so um, people can, people think they're doing your favor by pumping you up, but I heard enough good stuff from enough different people that I started to believe it and it was not true. 
and then yeah. and I owe you know I I own that ultimately. But the other last mention I'll say about being bold, it's a lot easier when you get like I'm. I have paid myself out of profits for 22 years, meaning I take a a, a nominal paycheck, goes to taxes, whatever. Um, but the bold part is I realized when my mar margins were going to down to near zero, I had to make a, a bold choice. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't, I could keep it running another year, maybe two without making a change and I'd be out of business. Instead, I, I took that hit and made a change. But yet I believe in the magnet. The people I repelled, I attracted others that love the credo. They, yeah. uh, they sent in their application because the credo got a little bit of local press in the business journal. And people were like, what's this credo? And others reached out and said, can I use the credo? One gal reached, uh, told me, emailed me and said, I, I printed the credo and put it in my cubicle. And she's like at Intel or something. Meaning it didn't even have a bearing on, she's not going to change Intel, but it helped her just frame up her day. And that meant the world to me. Yes. No. And I think that is important just because whenever you do something and someone can find a different applicability for it, it validates your process. It validates uh, things that you've things that you've done. Um, I, I, it's the highlight of my day when something like that happens, that those unanticipated and surprising outcomes that can occur. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been quite a lesson, quite yeah. a journey. What three tips would you have for someone who is experiencing burnout and needs to reboot? So great question. What I would say in terms of burning out or rebooting, I would say a couple things. One is I am like the least foofy guy, but I've found that, you know, I barely meditate. I just started doing yoga with my wife. I'm very inflexible. It's very painful to me, but find that thing that gets you away and gets you to stop thinking for a bit. Um, walking, running, rock climbing, things that take full attention. I like driving fast. I like, I used to do rock climbing where it's, you know, you are fully attention or you get hurt or you die. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do like some of the adrenaline stuff, whatever takes you out of that place so you can reset. The other thing that I've done is used, I kind of, I wouldn't say I have this control, my, my much control over my mind and my dreams, but at night I'm like, what do I really need to think about tomorrow? problems I need to tackle. And inevitably what I've been doing since COVID where I, I've gone more organic with my schedule and listened to my biorhythms more is my, my best thinking is 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. And I can't, instead of stopping and saying I need to sleep, I just go with it. I get up, turn on my phone or take some notes, get it out right. of my head, let it marinate so that by morning I've, I maybe I get another hour to sleep, but then I have this idea that I can then, so all my recent articles and a couple of my strategies have been from that that critical time. So uh -huh. that that's helped me creatively and and do and make this major switch after 22 years of be, becoming an employee. Um, but so breathing exercises, yoga, those things that take you away, long walks on the beach, short walks to the bathroom, whatever works for you. Um, I think that works. Also, I'm a social being, so I prefer to get my reflection time from friends and, and coworkers. Like, hey, I want to run this idea by you. I don't do as good, good with the alone time as others I know. So listen to your body. If you're a social being like me, look to others, have a, an accountability group. But if you're a solopreneur, but again, the last thing is if you're not eating well, getting enough sleep, and just even a, a modicum of exercise, no amount of, you know, you can't fake your way around that. Those are the real things that you need to work on first and foremost. Thank you. Um, I just enjoy listening to hear you, what your tips are. Um, the eating well, I think is so important just because your brain feeds on the food that you actually eat. 
and the um, getting away. I remember when I was uh, in grad school, I learned how to play golf and I learned how to play golf to get away and just not think about anything I was doing in school. And it has helped me throughout my life. That's so. fantastic. Yeah, that yeah, you are spot on. <laughs> so thanks, Ken, for being on Being Bold. Um, and thanks for listening to Being Bold. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot me an email at Cecilia at beingboldanddriven.com or message me on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.